And speaking of children, I wonder, when would you say you finally came to the the realization as you grew up, assuming you, of course, have grown up, when was it when you finally came to the sudden realization that maybe, just maybe, the things that your mom and dad said to you were actually wise things to listen to? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Every one of us in here at some point, perhaps it was a point longer ago than for others, for some of you. Everyone here at one point or time was young. Maybe when you were a child or probably as a teenager, there was a time where your parents told you something and you, I don't know, maybe you rolled your eyes. Are there any eye rollers in here? Uh, maybe you, uh, I don't know, maybe you rebelled, maybe you argued, maybe you Well, you went and chose to do the opposite just because it was the opposite of what they said to you. Um, I think all of us probably had a time or two in our our youth where we could be, it could be said that we are guilty of that. But then one day, sometime years later, something happened in your life that made you realize, you know, maybe mom and dad weren't so crazy after all. Maybe, just maybe, they knew what they were talking about. You know, oftentimes it is the lessons that are geared towards children that are the most profound and applicable to adults. There's some things that you and I just need to, well, maybe you've already learned it, but maybe you need to relearn it. Maybe you need to hear it a second time, maybe a tenth time, maybe many times. Things pertaining to the basics, the fundamentals about life, or more specifically, the fundamentals, the basics about faith. That's why it's so important that we have a ministry to children here. That's why we want to build things like recreation centers and why we have vacation Bible schools, because it is when children are young, it's when their hearts are moldable, it's when, uh, we sang uh, earlier, uh, uh, our hearts are unfolded before God. A child's heart is unfolded before God. A child can receive things that, 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 well, people like you and I become very hardened too. And so we need Sunday school and vacation Bible school and ministries to children because their kids are given that foundation for living a wise and healthy and godly life. But you know, you and I can't forget those things either. The things that you and I learned if, if you grew up in church and many of you, if not most of you, probably spent your whole life in church. Things that you learned when you were a child, those things that you need to now relearn. Things that were the basic things that you learned perhaps long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away. I'm sure that every one of us in here, when we were young, at some point or another in our, in our childhood, heard the story about a man named Noah and an ark. Yes, he was an ancient figure in the course of human history. We're talking just uh, less than 10 generations removed from the first man and woman. This is ancient, ancient history. And a man who lived in a world very different than the one in which you and I live today. And yet, as we look at his story, it doesn't take long to see how many ways that Noah's world was actually very much just like ours after all. We're not so different. And there are things to be learned here, things to be relearned here from this story that apply both to children and adults like you and I. So if you would, turn with me to Genesis chapter 6. If you grabbed one of the guest Bibles, you can go to almost the very, very beginning of that Bible, all the way 
uh, back to page seven. We're very early in the scriptures here. Um, This is the first narrative that follows the very first genealogy in the Bible. So if you start at the beginning, you have God who created Adam and Eve, who had sons Cain and Abel. Then there's a a genealogy and then Noah. So we're talking very early in in the course of human history. And this is his story. We're picking up here in in chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. The Lord, remember how early this is in human history. Okay, this is remarkable when we think about the impact of the first people and their wickedness in the world. Look, look what it says here in verse 5. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. And he saw that everything they thought or imagined was constantly and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I will destroy every living thing, all the people. The large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I am sorry I ever made them. In verse 8, the turning point in the narrative, but Noah found favor with the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. Noah was the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world, for everyone on earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along with the earth. And then if we were to continue reading there in verse 14 and following, we'll see that that Noah is given this plan to construct an ark, a giant wooden floatable structure on which his family and then two of every kind of animal on the earth could all go onto the the ark and survive a global flood. And, And the key verse there, as it pertains to our message here this morning, is in verse 16, as it's describing the ark, it says, there is a door on the side a door on the side, not doors at every sort of major entrance point or every key place upon the structure. No, there was the door on the side, which we'll come back to here momentarily. God's heart was broken by the constant and complete evil of mankind. And the story tells of his determination to put an end to it by wiping the slate clean. He was going to start all over until it, we come to that, that key verse 8 where it says, God finds one who found favor with God, who, verse 9 says, walked in close fellowship with him. Now, to the Hebrew mind, and I hope you and I have come to learn this as, as we have read the scriptures and heard from the scriptures and thought about what it means to be in a relationship with God and to walk with God. Walking with God means, to, it means it's how you live your life. It's not that you're just taking a stroll on occasion and you prayed while you walked. Of course, that'd be walking with God, and that's an appropriate thing to do if, if you're the, the walking type who likes to pray. But when, when the scriptures say that Noah walked in close fellowship with God, it means he lived all of life in close fellowship with God. It was how he lived. Like two persons who match each other's stride 
stride for stride. Noah aligned his life with, with God. And you might be saying, well, as I think about what that would look like in a person's life or what that might look like in my life as I think about what it means to walk with God or to follow Jesus, um, practically, Pastor Sean, what does that look like in a person's life? And I would turn your attention to, to verse 22. If you have your Bible still open, look in verse 22. At the conclusion of, of these verses, 14 through 21, of God giving all this instruction. Instruction, by the way, that on the surface might not have made a whole lot of sense to Noah. Imagine a day like today where it's radiant out and the sun is shining and it's warm and the birds are, are singing and it's like the perfect spring day. In fact, I told someone this morning, I almost wish we were having church outside today instead of inside. And their response was, well, we'll just tell everyone to grab a chair and, and we'll go outside. And I just wonder how ready is this congregation for that type of sort of on the fly kind of change to the morning? I don't know. Well, maybe one day we'll do something crazy like that. I just scared away half of you. You won't come back next week. But imagine a day like that, and then you're told it's going to flood. I mean, it's hard to, to wrap our minds around such a, a scenario, and you wonder if there was a time in Noah's walking with God where he was wondering, really? Is, it, is this really going to be the situation? That's how maybe I would respond. Maybe you would respond that way. I don't know about your particular walk with God. Maybe, maybe you never have any questions in your mind and heart. Maybe, maybe nothing ever troubles you that you hear God telling you or things that you see in his word that are directly applicable to your life. But in the story, verses 14 through 21, we get all this instruction, which may have sound crazy to him, maybe not, but I'll tell you what, in verse 22 it says this, so Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. And I would submit to you that that right there is the starting point to understand what it means to walk closely in fellowship with God. Where there isn't, yeah, maybe in your mind you're grappling with what it means. Maybe there's questions about the implications, but you're not questioning the one who's telling you. No questions about him. No, no arguing back. No back talk. No second guessing. Just simple, complete, immediate obedience. That's the fundamental key to walking with God. Now, it's easy for you and I to sort of pick and choose the times where we obey simply, completely, immediately, right? There's, there's those certain things that may become easy to us, things that don't have a particular, you know, impact in, in terms of like costing us anything. It's very easy for me to do this thing that God says for me to do, but what about these things over here? Right? We don't get the luxury of picking and choosing if we want to walk closely with God, picking and choosing the things that we will obey and things that we will disregard. Things that we'll just kind of, maybe we'll I'll obey that, but not right now. I'll, put, I'll tuck that one away. That's for another day or for another time or for another situation. Well, you can't do that and say that you're walking in close fellowship with God, at least not in the manner that Noah was. James 1.22, don't listen to the, God's word merely, but do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourself. I just wonder, what would have happened to Noah and his family and all the, the critters and creatures that joined him on the vessel? What do you think would have happened if Moses had decided, you know what, I'll build that ark a little later? What would have happened if Noah had just simply listened to God but not done what God had actually 
said, how would that have turned out for him? He heard the warning. He built the ark. And I love the simplicity of this. Something so simple that even a child can understand and must learn to understand. God said it. Noah did it. And I just wonder, what about your life? And I wonder, what about mine? Maybe you're more like me than you should be. Maybe you're the type who thinks that simple, immediate, complete obedience to God's word sounds awful risky in the kind of world in which we live. And there's truth to that. I remember the the day that I walked forward. I've told you this story before where I walked down to a a place of prayer at at a camp meeting missionary service and I walked down to consecrate my life to God, I had no idea what it was going to mean. I knew it was risky. And there's always going to be risk involved with following Jesus in the way in which he calls us to follow him, where we, we leave everything behind. We abandon it all. We, we let go of the things that we've been clinging to. We say, I no longer am going to re- retain control over my life. I'm not going to maintain a, a stranglehold on my identity and who I think I am. I'm going to surrender it all to Jesus, and I'm going to follow him without questioning it. There's risk to that, isn't there? There's risk to obeying God simply and immediately and completely. And a life like that, lived in a world like we're in, will almost, I can guarantee you, will make you look foolish to the world around you. And it will make you a target. Imagine how foolish Noah and his obedience would have looked to his neighbors. I mean, think about it. Well, what, is, what is he doing over there? He's spending all this time. He's using all these resources, all this energy. He's, he's dedicating his life to doing something that makes absolutely zero sense. Now, the narrative itself doesn't tell us exactly how his, his neighbors or those around him would have treated him, but we know from the New Testament a little bit, 2 Peter 2.5 says that even though Noah, Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment, apparently no one listened to him. So at the very least, he was ignored. Jesus affirms in Matthew 24, verses 38 and 9, that in those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time that Noah entered the boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. So you can be sure that at the very least, Noah was ignored, his warnings were dismissed, and, and you and I know the nature of people. We know the, the skeptics and the critics and the cynics that we are by, by, just by nature of being people who, who are broken and have a sinful nature. You know exactly what it's like to hear someone doing something that makes no sense to you and have the immediate sort of incredulity or scorn towards them. I can't believe that that person is doing that. And if, if we're talking about a world where everyone is completely and totally and always evil, imagine what he would have dealt with with his neighbors. Imagine it. You don't have to imagine that hard because it's not that all very different from the world that you and I live in today. People seeking to trust and obey God when it doesn't make sense to the world around us. Does that not invite all manner of criticism into your life? We are increasingly finding ourselves in a world where if you are not experiencing criticism, it might be because you're just simply not obeying God. 
Because in this world, more and more every day, nothing invites hostility and accusations and the rage of the cancel mob like daring to speak up for and stand upon biblical truth. Nothing invites it like, like that. I don't know how many in here are, um, are people who like to watch YouTube. So I, I watch a lot of YouTube. That's my preferred, well, I don't even know anymore. <laughs> I don't know if I even have a preferred uh, source of, of uh, downtime entertainment. Um, but traditionally, over the last several years, it's been YouTube for me. I've had, I don't know, a dozen, two dozen different channels that I follow covering a whole wide range of topics, things, you know, from, you know, uh, Bible teachers that I, that I really appreciate their teaching uh, to the most ridiculous, you know, mundane uh, you know, like prank channels. I mean, it's just a wide array of things that I that help me unwind and and just enjoy a little bit of rest and downtime. Um, and there's one channel that has, as over the years as I have watched, has risen up and up and up the ranks to now it is the the number one most subscribed channel on YouTube by an individual content creator. And that go, it's the channel you may have heard of. It's called Mr. Beast. Anybody heard of Mr. Beast? All right. If you have not heard of Mr. Beast, I guarantee you your children or your grandchildren know exactly who Mr. Beast is. Everybody knows Mr. Beast. His name is Jimmy Donaldson. Uh, he and a group of his buddies have been uh, making channels uh, for like 10 years, or making videos on this channel for like 10 years. And Jimmy is kind of a genius. He has basically pioneered a, a whole genre of content on, on the platform that specializes on these really elaborate, expensive stunts and giveaways. And he has gone on record saying his goal is to have, have a video where he gives away a billion dollars to somebody. And if you think that's crazy, well, you just don't know how much money this channel was bringing. I'm talking millions and millions and millions of dollars every month. And already he's, he's, he's having videos where he's giving half a million dollars away to people, a million dollars away to people. It's, it's this in just mind-boggling channel of, of money that's just flowing through, and it's just this meteoric rise and there's, there seems to be no end in sight. And, and I'll admit, the videos are, they're funny. They're pretty much, you know, family friendly. Um, they're entertaining. And my kids and family and I, we, we've enjoyed watching a number of those videos over the years. But we've noticed something happening on the channel. And it really came to a head on the last one that came out, uh, the last video that came out the other day. Um, something seemed off with one of the regular uh, characters on the, the channel. His name is Chris Tyson, one of Jimmy's best friends, who's been a longtime contributor with him on the channel. And Chris looked very different. And I began to wonder, what, what is going on in Chris's life? And it didn't take long to see where he, on Twitter, um, basically confirmed that he's undergoing uh, what is called hormone replacement therapy. And if you don't know what HRT is, that's, that's what people do to try to change their, their sex. And so Chris is in the process of trying to transition to be a woman. Which, by the way, I think is categorically impossible. I reject the idea of transitioning as even a possibility. You cannot change what you were when you were born. Now, you can change how you look, and people are, are resorting to really mind-boggling things to try to make that happen. But at the end of the day, it doesn't change what you fundamentally are. 
And so I reject the whole idea of transitioning to begin with. But nevertheless, this young man who has left a beautiful wife, a beautiful son, in this pursuit of a narcissistic fantasy has become the center stage of a firestorm around this channel. And I have a question for you. We're going somewhere with this, all right? I have a question for you. What do you think happens in social media or really anywhere to anyone who dares not to celebrate his decision? You know, I hear the the whispering out there. You know the world you're living in, church. I'm not talking about just passively stopping your support. You know, honestly, I, the first thing I did was unsubscribe from the channel. Because for me, as much as I have enjoyed the content, as much as I, at some level, have come to care for these guys, because I've watched their antics for years, I've been entertained by it, and I care genuinely about their lives, especially when they're lost and broken and their families are falling apart. But for me, I can't actively support a platform that normalizes this behavior to millions of children. I can't do it. But I'm not talking about just unsubscribing, taking some sort of silent, passive, you know, rejection. I'm wondering what happens to anyone who dares say anything. If you say anything, I'm not talking about the hateful people. And there's plenty of that kind of garbage out there, and that should never be on your lips or at your fingertips. I'm not talking about the hateful stuff. I'm talking about people who are saying, I can't believe this is happening. Where did this, where did this person's life go wrong? This person needs help. I care about his, his family. That, that We now have a, a wife that has lost a husband, a son who has lost a dad. What happens when you dare say that or you dare say anything about what the Bible says is right or true or what is best, what the right boundary lines are for a person's life? What happens then? Well, you know what happens when you speak up for the truth in the public square today. You're called hateful. You are called, well, fill in the blank and end it with phobic. In the case of social media like Twitter, you get what's called ratioed. You probably have never heard that term. It's something I'm still learning what it is. Basically, ratioed means if someone tweets something or posts something and there's a small number of likes or retweets and people want to show just how how much this this comment is not approved, they will go and, and bombard the comment section of it to create a, a disproportionate ratio. So we have maybe a thousand comments on something that has like five retweets. It's a way of the mob coming in and saying, we do not approve of this. We reject this. We reject this person. This person is marked. You need to join the crowd in canceling and silencing this person. You get ratioed. And increasingly, you get threatened. And that's not just on Twitter or Facebook or social media. Anywhere in the public sphere today, this is the reality. And I I don't see it getting better. And the question is, why? Why is this happening? Well, I think Jesus gives us a little bit of indication in Matthew chapter 10, verse 22, when he promised that all nations 
including one as great as our own, that I love and am proud of, at least our origins, all nations will hate you because you are my followers. Because to be the follower of Jesus, to walk in close fellowship with Jesus, puts you at odds with the world. A world which, just like in Noah's day, is full of evil, is, is in fundamental opposition and rebellion against God, and it will stop at nothing to silence you, it'll stop at nothing to deceive you, it'll stop at nothing to coerce you to conform. It will not stop. And we can't allow that to happen, church. You cannot conform to the patterns of the world and follow Jesus. You cannot do it. Romans 12, 2, do not conform to this world. The NLT says, do not copy its behaviors and customs. The things that it values, the things that it cherishes, the things that it deems are right, good, and true. Do not copy, do not conform to that, but instead, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. It is only then when you will learn to know God's will for your life, that which is good and pleasing and perfect. Jesus said in Matthew 7, anyone who listens to my teaching, and not just listens to it, but those who listen to it and follow it, is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. It is they, the faithful, like Noah, who will be vindicated when the flood begins. Indeed, Hebrews eleven seven says, by his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world. It wasn't by his, his words where he spoke words of condemnation to people around him. He didn't get on the social media of his day, whatever that would have looked like, scribbling on a stone or something. I don't know what it was like in Noah's day, how people interacted and, and debated and de dealt with these types of things. But it wasn't by his condescending attitude. It wasn't by his judgmentalism. It wasn't by his hateful words. It was by his faith that Noah condemned the world. And the question is this, who was the fool when the waters began to rise? <laughs> Every one of those critics with all their smart comments and accusations would have traded all the pleasure and all the enjoyment of their parties and their banquets and their weddings in that moment for the safety of the ark. Who was the fool then? And in the same way, there's a time coming when those who live for the unseen promises of God today will be proven to be wise tomorrow, while those who live for the present will be exposed as fools. And while the world around you today scoffs and sneers, eating and drinking and making merry and, and living for the present, you and I have to live for what we cannot see. Storing up treasures in the place where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal. Noah's faith proved to the world around him the foolishness of living for the moment. And he was vindicated by the God that he trusted and obeyed. But look, whenever we talk about uh, a biblical hero, we always have to be careful that we don't turn them into superheroes. Okay? Noah was not some sort of perfect person. 
as we use the word perfect. He had a sinful nature. He had his own struggles and temptations. He missed the mark, fell short in just as many ways, I'm sure, as you and I. Yet the Bible says that God considered him righteous. Isn't that interesting? A righteous person in the Old Testament. Why? What made him righteous? Well, it was his faith. And, and the Bible tells us that in God's economy, faith is accredited as righteousness. And Noah knew by faith God's power and God's faithfulness. He knew his power that he could destroy the world if he, if he wanted to. And he knew his faithfulness that God would keep his word if he said it. And thus, he was moved by a godly fear to flee from the coming wrath by trusting and obeying God's every word without argument or delay. And I'm hoping that at this point in the message, you are beginning, presumably by the, the presence of the Spirit who is in this place, who superintends the preaching of the word, and he's connecting dots for you in your own mind, and in your own heart, for your own life, he's helping you to see just how this simple truth from an ancient figure way back in history applies directly to your lives right here today. How this child's lesson is urgently relevant for us all. Another day of judgment, friends, is coming. And you, I'm not the hellfire and brimstone type of preacher that has a one message that is preached over and over again, but I find that this particular theme is coming to me more and more and more in my time of preparation. And I don't know if that's because the, the day of the Lord's return is, is near, and I mean near, or if it's just because of the, the condition of our culture that is in desperate need of some prophetic voice that is going to speak the truth in love. I don't know why. But increasingly, this topic is coming to my mind and heart. It's urgently relevant. Another day of judgment is coming, and the time to prepare for it is today. God may have promised never to flood the world again with water, which, by the way, he sealed that promise with what? A rainbow. <laughs> That's the real meaning of the rainbow. God promised never to flood the world again. And he'll keep that word. But just as he executed judgment on a truly evil and rebellious creation in Noah's day, God will do the same upon all evil at the end of time. And maybe that makes you uncomfortable. Maybe even you're a guest here today and you haven't heard a preacher talk about judgment in a long time and it makes you squirm a little. Or maybe you've heard it so much you just kind of roll your eyes at this point. I know it's not politically correct. I know it's not going to win any accolades with, with anybody to talk about it. I get it. But it doesn't make it true. It doesn't make it any less true. On that day, Peter says in 2 Peter 3.10, the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. And Peter will also say, God is patiently waiting for that day to come. Because why? Oh, he wants, he wants people to be saved. 
there, there's, a, there's a delay between the warning is issued and when the judgment comes. Because in that interim, that blessed present that you and I have that's, that's passing through our, our fingers like, like sand. You can't hold on to time. It's passing and you're, you're caught up in it whether you like it or not. You don't know how much time is left in your life. You don't know how much time is left in the world. And, and, and yet you were given this moment right now between warning and fulfillment because God is patient, because God is loving, because God is compassionate and he's merciful and he's withholding a judgment that this world rightly needs and deserves because he wants none to perish. And so the scriptures say today is the day of salvation. It's the only day you have because tomorrow's gone or yesterday is gone and tomorrow is not promised to you. You have today to heed the warnings, to begin whatever is necessary to make preparation for when that time comes. God is patiently withholding that day because he is love, but he will not permit evil forever because he is also holy. And just as Noah found favor with God and avoided the judgment by his faith, well, so can you and I. And that's the message of hope in a story as seemingly grim as Noah's. A story of widespread global devastation. How many countless souls were lost? What beautiful paradise-like landscapes were destroyed? It's a, it's a tragedy. And yet, right in the midst of the tragedy, there's hope. There's hope. Because even in the fury of God's wrath, one can discern the depths of his mercy and compassion. Who was it that issued the warning? It was God. God warned. He said he was going to do it. And he gave time for preparations. And through Noah, this message was to go out into the world who provided the, the instructions for making adequate provision? Did Noah have to sort of figure it out on his own? Well, he said, he said a flood's coming, and I guess I need something that floats. I don't really have any idea how to do it, and I know on my own I can't come up with the answer. So who provided it for him? God. God gave him the, God gave him the warning. God gave him the instruction. God told him what, what everything he needed to do, everything he needed to know, and then as we kind of finally arrive at the point of the, the message here this morning, who was the one who sealed the door? Who was the one who sealed the door? You know who it was. It's our, it's our, our uh, sermon text in chapter 7. Verse 16. After everything was on board, passing through the single door to safety, The Lord closed the door behind them. The Lord closed the door behind them. God announced it. God provided the way, and then God sealed their salvation, demonstrating that though he is decisive, 
in his judgment upon sin, in his destruction of the world, he is also careful to ensure the salvation of the faithful. As the next chapter after the flood recedes, resumes, in chapter 8, verse 1, summarizes it beautifully, God remembered Noah. And God promises to remember you and me too. For there is another greater door by which men and women and boys and girls might be saved. There is a greater way by which you and I may be sheltered from coming judgment, preserved and provided for and secure, and his name is Jesus Christ. He is the greater Noah, whose righteousness and obedience to the Father resulted in salvation to all who listened to his word. He proclaimed a a coming judgment, and he announced a coming kingdom And he himself made provision for sinners to be saved. He is the door to the ark of God's salvation. And he's the only way in. The way, the truth, and the life. The only way back to God. The only means by which you and I could ever hope to walk in close fellowship with the one who created us. And my question is, do you trust him this morning? Do you believe in him today? Are you living in complete obedience to his every word for every aspect of your life, even when it makes you look foolish, even when it draws negative attention, even when it invites ridicule or even persecution? Are you living in obedience to his word? Are you, with not just your words, by by all your actions, are you announcing both the coming wrath of God's judgment, but also the only way to be saved by it? Is that not our co-mission? To be witnesses? To tell the world of what's coming? And how to avoid it? Are you trusting exclusively in the promises of God who provides and who seals our salvation. You know, God could have secured Noah and his family any way that he wanted to. He's God, right? God can do what he wants. What are some of the interesting ways, and you don't have to answer back, just think creatively and imaginatively here for a minute. What are some of the the exotic or creative or exciting ways that God could have spared Noah and his family? Maybe maybe a, a, a whole army of angels could have come and and formed a perimeter, and, and kept you know, Noah's space dry, and formed a wall so that as the waters rose, kind of like the Red Sea, there's water standing on, on all sides, and yet God is preserving them th- through the flood in that way. G- God could have transported them to some safe location, maybe put them on a, 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 an oxygen bubble on, on the moon, or he could have transported them through time. I mean, there's, there's no limits to what God could have done because God is, he's omnipotent. And he's, he can, there's no limits to what God is able to do. And yet, what did God do? Well, he chose to save the faithful in such a way that they had to act out their faith. And listen, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
He's, he hasn't changed. Noah had a part to play. He didn't save himself. You never think for a second that by him obeying the word that somehow his construction of the ark is him saving himself. Absolutely not. God gave the warning. God gave the plans. God gave him everything he needed to know, but he had to respond. He had to work out his faith in obedience. Otherwise, there is no salvation for Noah. It's not a unilateral I will save you regardless of how you respond, regardless of your obedience, regardless of your actions. No, it is a cooperation between God and the man. Where one initiates, the other responds. And that is always salvation from beginning to end. God initiates, God provides, he does it freely. Yours is to simply believe and obey, to respond. As John Wesley says, each one of us, every person goes through what he calls the trial of faith and obedience. Why? To teach us that none shall be saved by Christ except those that work out their salvation. I'm gonna read that again. Listen to me. Each goes through the trial of faith and obedience to teach us that no one shall be saved by Christ except those that work out their salvation. We cannot do it without God, and he will not do it without us. And so, friends, the offer to you and to me and to all the world is free. All the provisions have been made. All that is necessary has been provided. God wills that none should perish, and yet he also will not force anyone to say yes. He has done it all. All that remains is for us to trust and obey. And that's the invitation to you. Whether you've never decided to follow Jesus once in your life, and maybe you're thinking about this morning, whether you've been following him for 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years. Choose today to trust and obey. The last couple of weeks after church, two weeks in a row, I've had the honor of going to the prayer room with a teenager and their mother to guide them to follow Jesus, to accept Christ into their heart. And I'm telling you, the invitation is still there. If you've never asked Jesus to come into your life and be your Savior and Lord, if you've never said yes to him, Today's the day of salvation. I would love if you came and met me up here on the front row during the closing song as Jeff is making his way up here and said, I don't know the words to say. I don't know what it all even means. I just know that there's something about this book that rings true. There's something here that I'm missing. And I know the world is broken and I know that I'm broken and I know that this can't continue forever. And pastor, if what you're saying is true, then I need to do something about it now. Come see me. And we can pray right here together. I can take you to the prayer room or whatever makes you comfortable, but don't let another moment pass through your fingers where you decide to put it off until another time. I'll do that, but tomorrow. You're not promised tomorrow. You're given today. 
Lord, I pray that even now as, as we're wrestling with the truth of your word and what it means for our lives, and it may sound risky, it may sound scary, for the unbeliever and believer alike. Lord, for the, if there's someone here who doesn't believe in you, I pray that your Holy Spirit would, would so convict them of their need to be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ that they will break out of their, their disbelief. They will respond and say yes. And that's scary because they don't know what it means for their lives exactly. They don't know what will happen. Lord, I, I pray that you would reassure them even now that no matter what happens around them, only beautiful things happen within them. When a person is regenerated and breathe, new life is breathed into their soul and they, they finally live for the first time and they, they have an assurance that they belong to you and that you belong to them and, and they can lead a new life, life that is eternal, that begins today. Lord, would you move upon those, perhaps who are in here this morning, like that. But Lord, for the rest of us who have been walking with you, maybe we haven't been walking as closely as we present to those around us here at church. Maybe we've been walking at a distance. Maybe it's because we're afraid if we get too close, it'll make us marked people. Or you might call us to do something uncomfortable, something risky. Lord, would you give your church a fresh boldness, a fresh conviction that is desperately, desperately, urgently needed in the culture that we live in today? To where it's not just one or two or three people putting themselves out there and risking their name and their reputation or their ratios, but a whole church full. Oh, what could you do through 200 people who break out of the beautiful space like this with the bad news of judgment, but the good news of salvation on their lips? I dare say that would set the world on fire in a good way. Because <laughs> this world's gonna catch fire one way or the other. Lord, we wanna be a part of the, the, the fire of awakening and revival and renewal that many would be spared from the day of fire and judgment. Lord, move among your people and may we hear you speak clearly and respond appropriately by, by your strength and your power, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please stand as the worship team closes us in a song that's your song of invitation to come and respond as you feel led. Maybe you wanna pray with someone next to you in your seat. Maybe you wanna go on out to the prayer room come see me, just respond as the Lord leads. Pastor Jeff.